Welcome to the hills. I know right now I'm talking to a lot of people watching me on the screen. You could be at South Lake Campus, West Fort Worth Campus, or watching online. So I need to clarify something. Uh, the screen might make it look like I am wearing a pink shirt. This is not a pink shirt. This is what they call manly mauve. That's what I'm wearing, okay? And I'm doing it to speak a word for the women's conference. Now, I know something about Christian conferences. I've been to my share, and I kind of know who the popular speakers are. And I was stunned when I saw the lineup. Sheila Walsh and Bianca Altoff, they keynote not just women's conferences, but major Christian conferences across the country. And so for Barbara Gradke and her team in women's ministry to get both of these ladies at one conference right here is absolutely stellar. Now, here's the deal, ladies. For several months after the conference, the women are going to be talking about how amazing it was. And you don't want to be the lady who says, well, I almost came, but did it. So make it a priority. And all you dudes now, you got a girlfriend, you got a daughter, you got a wife. You make it possible for her to come and do what you have to do. It's going to be amazing. Now, last week, we started a new series called Kingdom Come where we listen to the very words of Jesus the King on why he came to our earth. Now, we have a guy on our team named Sean Fear who is amazing, does our graphics. And this might be one of my all-time favorite graphics he created for this particular series. I got a lot of feedback on it. The crown stands for heaven where the king reigns. And the line is that distance between heaven and earth. And the arrow points saying the king has come and the king is coming again. And the kingdom will fill the whole earth. And I love that and got feedback. Man, we ought to put that on t-shirts. We ought to put that on coffee mugs. But I work for some people that took it to a whole new level. They got tattoos. Okay. I'm talking Manny Dominguez and Adam Herndon, who are our student ministers and Barrett Snare, our worship leader. They went and they got tattoos of kingdom come. You see the whole group there. And I just have to say, they're crazy. They're just crazy. But I love it because think about it. If you get a tattoo, you're making a statement that there's something I believe so strongly. I want you to permanently know I'm not changing my mind about this. Okay? And so I work with these people, these amazing people who are absolutely persuaded that Jesus is king, that he came, and that he's coming again. But you know, when he came the first time, nobody would get in tattoos. Because they weren't certain that the king had come. And it wasn't because they weren't looking for a king. I mean, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. They were eagerly anticipating a Messiah. And Jesus did a lot of things they thought the coming king would do. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He even raised the dead. So why didn't they recognize that the king had come? Well, it wasn't because of the things he did. It was because of the company he kept. Because in the view of some, Jesus spent way too much time hanging out with people who were not fit for a king. Let me show you an example in Mark chapter 2. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. And taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. 
follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Now, that seems like a hard question, but it was completely consistent with their theology. You see, the most important thing you believe is what you think about God. And what you think about God shapes how you think about everything else. And here's what they thought. God hates sin. Therefore, they concluded, God hates sinners. And since God hates moral failures in their minds no true messiah would come for scum and let's be clear in their day levi was the scummiest he was a tax collector let's give that some context how did the roman empire keep the peace in all of the nations they invaded they sent armies they sent soldiers with swords And said, if anyone gets out of line, end their life. And so by threat and by oppression, they governed. Well, how do you afford to send soldiers all over the world? You tax the locals. How do you collect the taxes? You get some of the natives and you tell them, anything you can extort over our cut, you can keep. That's what Levi did. He wasn't just a cheater. He was a traitor. In their minds, he was a total scumbag. So, God's king, they thought, would walk up to someone like Levi and say, How dare you? But Jesus walked up to Levi and asked, Why don't you? Why don't you and me hang out? And Levi said, really? Because I got a lot of friends. And we could all meet at my house. And Jesus went. And the internet went crazy. With everybody posting pictures of Jesus hanging out with people that just weren't fit for a king. And that's exactly why he went. And in one of the coolest statements of Jesus and one of the coolest metaphors in all the Bible, look at what he said. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now, remember, we're looking at Jesus' own words Why did the king come? And he says right here, Jesus came for sinners. Because Jesus came to bring a different kind of kingdom. He was going to bring a different kind of people into it. So, in this sermon, I'm going to use two of my all-time favorite illustrations. Here's the first. It happened in 1990. A couple's engaged to get married. They go downtown to the uh, Hyatt. 
and they rent a very expensive ballroom for their wedding reception and dinner. $10,000 deposit. Just before the wedding, the dude gets cold feet and backs out. So she goes down there to get her money, and the fine print of the contract said clearly, at this late date, you can only get $1,000 back. And so the lady at the hotel said, I'm so sorry, but you can take your $1,000, or you can go ahead and have a party. You've got the room. And that's what she did. Here's the backstory. You see, 10 years earlier, she had been homeless. She lived in a shelter, the consequence of some bad choices she had made. But she started making better choices. And she got a job. And she got to thinking about the people that she knew. And she thought, I'm going to throw a party for them. So she called the shelter. And she said, get the word out on the street. Invite the vagrants. Invite the addicts. Invite the prostitutes. And they came to the Hyatt. And they drank champagne and they had hors d'oeuvres and they danced to big man music. She went ahead with the party. The only change she made was in the menu. In honor of the groom, they had boneless chicken. And the people at the Hyatt had never hosted a gathering like this. And I love that story because it gives me a picture of what I think the kingdom of God will be like. And when the great wedding banquet is had, when the king comes back, there's going to be all kinds of people there that so many said weren't fit for the king. But here's the deal. The most amazing thing about this kingdom is that the one condition for entering it is admitting you're not fit for it. He says, I have come to call those who know they are sinners. Now, I recognize that is an offensive statement to many. Secular ideology hates the concept of sin. Because sin implies moral authority and moral absolutes and deserved judgment. Secularism says, oh no, truth is found within. I decide what's right for me. Nothing outside of me determines what is right and wrong, and I should submit to it. And so secular people love Jesus as a cheerleader, not as a redeemer. But here's the funny thing. Religious people don't like the idea either. Because it offends their ideas about morality and God. You see, one of the things that makes religion popular is you have this morality grid by which you get to decide who's good and who isn't. You get to decide who's in and who's out. You get to determine who's fit for the king and who is not. The most important thing you think is what you think about God. And because of what they thought about God, that he doesn't think and he doesn't want to be around people who aren't fit. Because of what they thought about God, they missed God in the flesh, in their very midst. See, the text reveals Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. He came to change our minds about God. And when you change your mind about God, it will change how you look at everybody else. So I told you a few weeks ago that our prison ministry 
was able to bring to salvation perhaps the most notorious criminal in Texas. His name is James Byrd. He was the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood in Texas. He's in solitary confinement. He will probably never leave prison. You named the crime, he was a part of it. If I showed you the, his back, he's covered in tattoos at the cross his shoulders. It says Aryan Brotherhood. And beneath that is a big picture of the face of Adolf Hitler. He was making a very clear statement about what he believed. Now you see a picture of a man like that. What do you think? What do you think Jesus would think? Jesus never saw scum. He saw patience. He didn't see people as problems. He saw people with problems. He came to a world plagued by sin and he hated the disease, but he never hated the people infected with it. Okay, that's so good. I'm going to say that again. He came to a world plagued by sin. And he hated the disease. But he never hated the people infected with it. And that was the beauty of his metaphor. He said, I'm a doctor. Where do you expect to find doctors? Do we criticize doctors today because they hang out at hospitals? That's where we expect them to be. And so Jesus wasn't going to allow the critics to keep him from the people who were critical. Now, he got slandered a lot in his life. People called him a drunkard, a glutton. They said, your miracles are because of the power of Satan. But there was one slur people aimed at Jesus he owned. They called him a friend of sinners. And here's the thing. He was. He really was. He didn't just treat his patients. He genuinely liked them. He intentionally made friends with sinners so that he could make disciples of them. He didn't practice separation for fear of contamination. You understand what I mean? We find out that someone has a very serious, deadly illness. Our first thought is, do we need to quarantine them? Do we need to isolate them so the rest of us will not get what they have? Now think about that from a spiritual realm. Because I get the tension. I really do. When my children were little, I didn't let them just listen to anything they wanted or watch anything they wanted. They weren't mature enough. I get it. The Bible says bad companions can corrupt good morals. I get it. I know that when you're young or when you're immature, you have to be very discerning about the company you keep. For example, let's say that you've had a drinking problem all your life and you've just recently come to Christ. You need to witness to your drinking friends, but probably not at a bar. Okay, I get that. But here's the thing. How can the kingdom of God ever come to people who are far from God if the people of God avoid them. See, heaven's reaction to sin was not 
isolation. It was incarnation. It was Jesus becoming one of us and Jesus being a missionary. So I'm in middle school and I'm going to tell all you moms something you may not know. When your boys go to middle school, they're going to learn a whole list of new words. And they may not use them at home, but I promise they learn them. And they're bad words. So all my middle school buddies started using really bad words to try to pretend they were grown up. And it bothered me. So I stopped hanging out with them. My dad noticed. He said, son, why aren't you hanging out with your friends after school? And I said, well, dad, because they all start using really bad words. And I thought my dad would say, oh, thou art my most beloved son. Inherit my kingdom. No. (laughs) My dad said, well, son, if you will never be friends with your friends that use bad words, how will they ever know that you can be cool and not have to use bad words? Wait a second, dad. You're telling me that I should not dislike my cussing friends, and I should not be like my cussing friends, but I can actually hang out with and like my cussing friends without cussing. Like, poof, mind totally blown. (laughs) But what great wisdom. Listen to this verse, Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to, to Jesus teach. Now, are we supposed to be like Jesus? You can talk back to me. Are we supposed to be like Jesus? Okay. If we are going to be like Jesus, then we are going to have to learn to like the kind of people that he liked. And he liked some pretty sick people. We got to stop looking at people through a morality grid and start looking at people through a redemptive lens. Now, here's what I mean by that. Jesus never denied that people like Levi were sick. What he denied was the diagnosis that their condition was hopeless. See, regardless of how he got here, Jesus believed his new friend didn't have to stay there. And so we told Levi that he had some kingdom potential. And then Jesus was so, so patient. It's so big. Please notice, he did not walk past Levi and say, you know, I'm going to be back this way in about a month. And if I see some serious change in your life, then maybe you and I can hang out. He didn't say, get well and then start following me. He said, start following me and you'll start getting well. You don't make yourself fit and then enter the kingdom. You enter the kingdom and you start becoming more fit. Now, this helps give some context to this frequent criticism I hear. Well, I don't go to church because church is full of hypocrites. Well, of course it is. We are a hospital full of really sick people. Now, I'll admit, some of them aren't trying to get better, but a lot of them are, but they're still sick. Jesus did not come to call the righteous because they didn't need a doctor. No, he didn't come to call the righteous because 
there would be no one to call. Let me show you a verse that just totally blows up morality grid theology. It's in Romans 3. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. And then a little later, for everyone to sin, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We're all sick. Am I somehow less sick? Is my condition less terminal? Because I only sometimes sin and you often sin? We're both sick. And we're both in desperate need of a doctor. Listen, I've been pastoring this church for 30 years. If you're a guest, you just need to know these people are sick. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm sick and you are too. And that's why, <laughs> that's why we need to get out of the business of fitness judging. For one reason, you don't know the other person's backstory. People have reasons, they have pasts. That help put them where they are. And you don't know it. No Jewish boy wanted to grow up and be a tax collector. How did Levi get there? Was he an orphan? Was he handicapped and couldn't get a manual labor job? Did he have a sick child at home and he was desperate to make more money? You don't know the backstory of the person you want to judge. I'll tell you what else you don't know. What's in their heart. You don't know. How hard they may have been trying to get well. Here's what you do know. You know that you're not all that fit yourself. We are all sick. Hey, but I got some good news. You want to hear it? Jesus came for sinners. And that's all of us. Now. I know that morality grid wants to decide who's deserving to enter the kingdom. But the redemptive live says we're all undeserving. And this is where it's really possible for this sermon to be misinterpreted. This is where, if you're not careful, you will misunderstand what I'm saying. You could be saying, well, pastor says, hey, everybody's sick, everybody sins, no big deal. And I'm not saying that. Jesus hates sin. Sin ruins people. Sin kills people. He came to help people get better. When you start following Jesus, He fills you with His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit goes to war against your flesh. And it starts to empower you to make better choices. In fact, to change your desires so the things you used to want to do now, they make you sick to think about doing them. And so he helps you get better. But please understand, following Jesus will help you sin less. But none of us are sinless. The good news is Jesus is so patient with his patience. I'm not saying that sin isn't that bad. I'm saying none of us can claim that we're that good. And the reason we can enter the kingdom is because the king himself 
has transferred his fitness to us. So in one of the most important verses in the whole Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could become right with God. Sin kills. Wherever sin is, there's death. I told you Jesus came for sinners. Well, how can sinners enter the kingdom if sin leads to death? Well, he came for sinners. And so Jesus came to become sin. He didn't come to dismiss sin. He came to destroy sin. He didn't say, oh, no big deal. I'll just become a sinner like you. No, Jesus said, big deal. I will become sin for you. And so, on the cross, the sinless doctor hung. And in the middle of the day, the sky went dark. And the doctor screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in eternity, the Godhead was disjointed. The Father abandoned the Son. And wrath from heaven was poured out because the King had become sin. The king did not come to sweep your sin under the carpet. He came to put your sin under the blood. There's never been a doctor like King Jesus. He made the house call. He diagnosed the disease. He provided the only cure. And he paid the bill. And he wants to be your friend. And so here's the question of the day. Are you sick of being sick? Are you sick of pretending you're well when you're not? Are you sick of believing you can never get better? Are you sick of being sick? So, I want to close this sermon in a different kind of way. I'm not going to offer the invitation today. James Bird is. Our brother in Christ in his cell in solitary confinement wrote me recently and I want to read to you a word that he has for you. To someone who feels there's no hope or mercy for the things they've done. I would say that through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, God has made a way for even the worst of sinners. Murderers, thieves, liars, blasphemers, hate-filled men like myself to find redemption and God's saving mercy. God has poured His loving mercy over me. I can assure you, I didn't deserve it. But thank God He's made a way for us through Jesus going to the cross. 
And I can say that without God's loving grace and mercy, I would never have changed my life. I would still be a hate-filled man whose only companion was the rage that fueled his every thought and move. But God can show you His mercy because Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay the blood price for our sins. When there seems to be nothing left, you can rest assured that if you hit your knees and cry out to God and invite Jesus into your life, He will show up. I promise it is true. If God can change the hard heart I've carried my whole life, He can change anyone. And nothing they've done is too bad for Jesus to cover. There is hope at the cross. That's some good preaching. That's some good news. Our brother was so, so sick. But he made a new friend. And thanks be to God, he's getting better. Are you tired of being sick? The doctor will see you now. I'm going to pray over you. So God, in the powerful name of Jesus, I pray that someone listening to me right now is just a few moments away from having their entire eternity changed. That they're tired of being sick. They're tired of thinking they can never change. They can never get better. They're tired of carrying the guilt. They're tired of pretending. So I'm praying, God, that your Holy Spirit will come in and give them the power today to come see the doctor. That the Holy Spirit will speak against fear, speak against pride, speak against anything that would keep them away from Jesus. I'm praying that in just a few moments, angels in heaven are going to start rejoicing Because someone has said, King Jesus, I'm sick. Please help me. I'm praying that we're just a few moments away from salvation. And I pray all this for the name and for the glory and for the honor of King Jesus. Amen.